Plants capture CO2. What if we could help industrial plants capture it too? Think how we could help lower emissions. More and more scientists think carbon capture is key to reducing CO2 emissions globally. It's one way ExxonMobil is helping industrial plants be more like plants. That's the unexpected energy of ExxonMobil. On this week's Adam Schefter podcast, we are joined by the ESPN Features producer, John Fish, the greatest storyteller on TV today, Tom Rinaldi, and the Pittsburgh Steelers legend and Vietnam veteran, Rocky Blyer, as he relives the 50-year anniversary of being wounded in the Vietnam War. Fish, Rinaldi, and Blyer all traveled back to Vietnam on this anniversary to walk the same grounds where Blyer and other members of Charlie Company were ambushed in August of 1969. The result of their trip is a show called The Return, which airs on Tuesday, August 20th at 8 p.m. on ESPN2. It's a show you don't want to miss. It's Fish and Rinaldi at their best and Blyer reliving one of the worst moments of his life. Without further ado, here's John Fish and Tom Rinaldi. All right, so ESPN is about to debut, if it hasn't already, one of the great shows that I would say maybe has ever been on ESPN, that basically has been in the works for 10 years with ESPN features producer John Fish, who's sitting with me right now, worked on procuring an interview with Rocky Blyer going back to Vietnam 50 years after he was wounded in the same rice paddy, in the same spot, in the same field. And, of course, the man to do that story, there's nobody could do that story any better than Tom Rinaldi, who also happens to be sitting with me right now. So I've got John, I've got Tom, we've got Rocky Blyer coming up on this podcast here in a short time. And I want to ask you, men, I guess, how this came together and what happened with this piece and if it worked out the way you wanted. John? Well, I'll answer it backwards. It absolutely worked out the way we wanted. It was fabulous and powerful and everything that we didn't think it was going to be happened and everything that we hoped happened as well. So it was, uh, it was an amazing, it was an amazing trip to Vietnam. How it happened uh, originally about 2009 did a story with Rocky and it was talked about then. There was a thought that we would go then and it for whatever reason didn't happen. But very much in these stories, and when I when I do a story as a producer, if you do a story correctly, you can keep in contact with the people no matter how difficult a story is. And for me, my goal is to always tell the subject, this is what I would like to do, this is how we'd like to do it, and if you'd like to do it, that would be great. And then when we do the story, there's really no surprises that come about. Nothing's happened within the storytelling. But as long as you're open and you have an open line of conversation with the, the subject, in this case, Rocky, it went well. And we kept in touch. And in 2017, people at ESPN came to me. My, my bosses, Greg Jewell and Craig Lazarus, came to me and said, hey, do you still keep in touch with Rocky? And I said, yeah, of course I do. They said, can you give him a call? I said, to go back to Vietnam? And they said, yeah, see if he's interested. So I remember specifically, I had done a lot of research at the archives, the National Archives in Maryland, and I was finishing up a University of Maryland story, driving by, and uh, the phone rang, and it was Rocky, and I was like, hey, Rock, what's going on? Sorry to bother you. Just want to ask you a question. I know that Notre Dame is playing Princeton today in the NCAA tournament, but, and he paused, and he said, you want to know if I want to go back to Vietnam? And I said, yeah. And he said... A long pause. And I said to Rocky, um, listen, take a month, take a day, take a week, think about it, and let me know. And he did. And I woke up one day, and there was a text, and he said, let's go. So, John, why did you not come to me and ask me to go to Vietnam with you? Why did you go to Tom Rinaldi? <laughs> uh, Tom and I have been working together for a really long time. Uh, we have a great relationship. <laughs> and um, as you know, as Adam, you know, it just worked out that way. That would, listen, John, if anybody could do that piece, like you'll hear Rocky talk in a few minutes and he's telling me about how he cried. I said, Rocky, you're in a field 
50 years later. You're with Tom Rinaldi. Like, this is so predictable that you're going to cry. Of course you're going to cry. And he was able to laugh about it. Like, he laughs about it, as you'll hear. Tom. Can I tell you, that's my cue, Adam, and I, and I will not have my character slandered in that way. Um, this absolutely happened because of John's persistence yeah. and his determination, Adam, but I can tell you that verbatim what Rocky said in terms of his expectation, getting ready to board the flight from South Bend, ultimately across the country and then to Asia, was, guys, don't expect any emotion from me. It's exactly what he said. And spending time with Rocky Blyer, seeing him, 73 years old, still dominates a weight room, still has veins rippling across his limbs as though they are topographical maps, Adam. I'm telling you, the guy personifies strength. And his reaction, 49 years to the day, that we got to the Hepduck Valley and the coordinates by GPS through John's great work where the paddy doesn't look like it did 49 years ago, now 50, was one of the most interesting things and compelling scenes I've ever been a part of documenting. He was overwhelmed and two things happened, Adam, by his own description. Number one, he was overwhelmed with the emotion of being back in this place where his life changed and very easily could have ended. And number two, he suffered hypothermia. His core body temperature dropped below 93 degrees. John, who's the son of a doctor, has his dad on the phone in the middle of the night wow. while Rocky lays prone, almost hit his head on a tree as he absolutely fell out. This is recorded by one camera, even though we had multiple cameras out there. Why? Because everyone else is worried that Rocky's life is in danger. He's having a cardiac episode. We don't know what's happening. And we did the best we could to tend to Rocky first and foremost, but to be certain that in some way we documented it as well. That's that's the last third of the story, if you will. What happened that day and his acknowledgement that these two things happened to him. The medical part, yes, Adam, but the emotional, absolute cataclysm he went through. But he had no idea it was coming, which... I don't know why he didn't, but he didn't. He didn't. And here's my question. You met him for the first time and flew with him from South Bend to Vietnam like you had never met him before. And here you are going back to the place where he was shot down. John and our spectacular crew, Logan and Rochi and a number of other guys. Again, John had coordinated all of this. And the effort, as you can imagine, involved in everything that required the international clearances to do this. You're watched closely by the Vietnamese government while you are there. We had a chance meeting with a scout. We had him meet with an enemy, an an NVA enemy commander, as they exchanged apologies to each other for what the war had done to our respective countries, what it had done to the respective cultures at the time. All of this comes at John's work, Adam. So... I have seen so many great Tom Rinaldi stories on ESPN, many of which I'm sure have been in conjunction with Mr. Fish here. My question to you is, Andy Murray, Tyler Trent, where does this one rank in the work that you've done? Is it your favorite one? Like, Like there aren't too many that have been selected the best documentary at a recent L.A. Shorts International Film Festival like this one was. John? You have projects that you do over time, especially in long form storytelling. And absolutely, it's, you know, top, top five. It was a project that I've wanted to do. I've been here close to 22 years. It's a project that I've wanted to do in for a long time. I mean, half of my career here has been part of this project. So this is, this is one of my top projects of all time. And you don't want to put a rank on anything. Every project is unique yeah. in and of itself, mm-hmm. but absolutely. I mean, you know, Rocky, everything that went on was something that I'd never experienced in my career. And we've had some stories that have that have had unexpected turns in them. And this was one of them. How much time did you spend with him in Vietnam? Virtually every moment that we were there. Which is how uh, long? We were there for a week. Yeah. And... Adam, you have to consider this is a guy who collapsed, lost consciousness, regained consciousness, 
was uncertain for a period of time where he was. Sick on, on the side of the road. Right. We had to pull over on the way to the medical clinic, which was 90 minutes away, where we could find an English-speaking medical staff. He, uh, he threw up on the side of the road multiple times on the drive back there. And this is a guy, one hour after we got to the clinic, Adam, who looked and said, can't make it up. When are we going back to the field? Wow. What you said, Rock, what are you talking about? Why? I remember John, we looked at each other. We were on the on the phone with his wife yeah. at, to try to calm her, let her know what was happening, let her know that we were treating, getting him treated medically. Two in the morning in America. It's right. Her one in the afternoon. Call, uh, and then him saying, I just have to go back. We came here for me to go back wow. to that field. I'm going back to that field. To which we had to explain, Adam, listen, Rock, you have to understand, we don't want to put you at peril, but selfishly, we're not going to put ourselves at peril either. We, You're here with us telling this story. We're not going to have something happen to you because it's something you purely want to do. We have to be certain you're medically cleared. Next day, back to the clinic, better, cleared. Two days later, back in the field and broke down all over again. How far was the field from where you were staying and where he was being treated at that point? 90 minutes from the medical clinic and more than an hour away from our hotel. It's, it's almost on the Laos border. I mean, it's, yeah. it's far. It's far and it's in, and while Vietnam has grown up as a country and become a vacation spot, where we went is very much how it was. Still very rural, uh, dirt, you know, semi-paved roads. It is not changed as much as, as the much rest of the as, as much of the rest of the country yeah. you know when people watch this piece this week what should their takeaway be well my my answer is twofold adam number one is is that it's one individual story whatever your politics are whatever your feeling is for example on what's happened with the national anthem during nfl games Whatever the division that we feel so often in the country, this is one man's story going back to face a place and a time in his life where directly behind him, a friend who was engaged to be married, barely not yet 20 years old, was shot and killed directly behind him. And I think John would say he comes to his reckoning with that man's death. Right before our eyes, Hawaii. That was his. Uh, that was his buddy, and that's who was shot down in the patty with him that day. And you know, Rocky got shot in the leg, and unfortunately, Hawaii, um, you know, didn't survive the uh, the ambush that they faced. Shot, shot in the leg, hit with a grenade which exploded directly up both of his legs, filling them with shrapnel. And most famously, gets medevaced out two miles, nine hours being carried in a poncho with other guys, 25 of the 33 in the platoon wounded, gets to the Tokyo hospital and told by a doctor who incredibly John tracked down 50 years later, the doctor who told him, football's over. Football is over. Last time we checked, four rings later, Adam, I guess... The doctor was wrong. Yeah, he spent the 1970 season on IR. He was on the Steelers taxi squad in 71. Yeah. Active for six games, returns in 72. Plays on special teams in 72 and 73. And in 74, the Steelers' first Super Bowl winning season. Got his first chance as a running back, rushing 88 times for 373 yards. Finished the Steelers' career, by the way, by helping them win four Super Bowls and rushing for 3,865 yards and 23 touchdowns. Six in the playoffs. And is the only man to have four rings and be a veteran. The only man. Think of all the guys who have fought in wars and played in the NFL. He's the only four-time Super Bowl champion and a war veteran. Well, I thank both of you gentlemen for shining a light on this. The story is The Return. ESPN features producer John Fish helped put this all together over 10 years. I don't know anybody who's ever worked on a story for 10 years. And there could be no better storyteller to execute that piece than the great Tom Rinaldi. John, Tom, tremendous work. I'm really excited about seeing it. 
I'm sorry I haven't seen it yet. I apologize for you, but I don't feel so bad because Rocky hasn't seen it yet either. We're anxious to see what he'll think. And can I just say this? Yeah. I've been fortunate enough to do different things in my career, but now on the Schefter podcast, I can finally go home and tell our son, Jack Rinaldi, Jack, your dad made it. Well, let me say this. Tell Jack Rinaldi that I wanted to get you on at a different time. I didn't bring you on with the intent of basically coming on to talk about the return, the great Rocky Blyer story, but for those who don't know, I'm literally taping the interview with Rocky Blyer. John Fish walks by. He's motioning to me, and then all of a sudden he gets you to come back. I'm just here in Bristol, and this fell into my lap today. Producer. Producer, yeah. John Fish. This was not a 10-year process. This was a 10-minute process, and John Fish came through once again. Sometimes the best things just happen spontaneously. <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you very much, and congratulations on this tremendous feat. Thank you, Adam. And from John Fish... And Tom Rinaldi, the man who brought us the story, the man who was a part of the story, Rocky Blyer. After hearing me talk about ButcherBox for months, if you haven't taken advantage of its amazing offers, you need to listen up. Every month, ButcherBox delivers humanely raised, 100% grass-fed beef, free-range, organic chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught Alaskan salmon directly to your door. Choose from four curated boxes or customize your own box with all of your favorite cuts. And with free shipping, ButcherBox makes getting high-quality meat with no added hormones or antibiotics easier than ever. ButcherBox has a ton of awesome recipes and resources on their website that will help you bring out all the flavor of each cut of meat you get from ButcherBox. And this month, ButcherBox is offering new members $20 off your first box plus free ground beef for the life of your subscription when you sign up at butcherbox.com slash Schefter. That's right. In addition to all the great meats you get, ButcherBox is knocking $20 off your first box and throwing in two pounds of free ground beef in every box for the life of your subscription when you sign up at ButcherBox. And now we get to bring in a man who, at the risk of making myself sound old, I grew up watching and hearing about his story, and in an emotional primetime ESPN Sports Center featured special that will run on ESPN this week, they go back to Vietnam with Rocky Blyer to the valley where he was wounded in Vietnam for the first time since that day in 1969, which was actually August 20th, 1969. So, Rocky, I have to ask you what it was like for you to go back there. Well, you know, it was a, a two-step process. It was kind of an interesting process. Um, if I go back, you know, we, it, this is a project that we've been and that we've been working on for like ten years. John Fish, who was the producer, with ESPN, um, and it just, you know, it was one of those things where time schedules. You know how um, it, it's that industry runs. In my own personal schedule, anyway, it finally all came together. Uh, a year ago in August, uh, and so we decided to go back. Now, I, I, I preempt that with the, with the thought of this, which was, that, um, oh, okay, fine. It was like uh, I really didn't need to go back to Vietnam. It wasn't a big thing on my to-do list or bucket list to have to go back to Vietnam. Mm-hmm. It was spurred by ESPN to be able to do that, and I thought, well, that'll be a nice experience. And I told John and Tom Rinaldi, uh, and and the crew, I said, now listen, I don't know what to expect, only because of the fact that, you know, unlike the majority of combat veterans who came back from Vietnam, who came back to a hostile environment here uh, in the States, uh, were identified with the war, so, uh, you know, were spat upon or looked down upon as baby killers and so on and so on. Uh, and so they repressed their feelings, went about their life, and uh, raised families, and so on and so on. I come back to a whole high-profile industry playing football, so I became a story. And because of that incident, you know, I then had to talk about it. So I got some catharsis, I think, through that period of time of, of telling the story, of coming up with maybe soul-searching reasons of why, how do you compare, you know, the questions that were all asked 
at that time and then thereafter. So through that whole period of time, I, you know, I talked about it, my feelings and so on and so on and so on. And so I told him, I said, I don't know what to expect when we when we get back there, because I didn't have any traumatic experience, meaning that it wasn't as if my best friend died in my arms or somebody was blown that's sitting next to me and or uh, everybody died except me and or I had to kill somebody specifically, you know, um, and I didn't have any of those types of experience. Mm-hmm. Now, overall, probably was somewhat of a traumatic thing of just being there and being in a firefight and having this happen, not knowing what. But, you know, um, so I said, I don't know what what to expect. When we were out in the field and we went back to the exact location of where the firefight had taken place and where we ran into enemy activity, where eventually I got hit twice that same day. Um, and we're standing in the rice paddy, and the sun was beating down, and Rinaldi says to me, what do you feel, or how do you feel? And at that moment in time, I have to tell you, all of a sudden, there was this overwhelming sense of loss, Hmm. which I didn't know where it came from. I mean, just out of my depth and through my system, and all of a sudden I become teary-eyed and emotional. I break down and I start to cry, and I don't know why, and I couldn't figure it out at that moment. And then after some reflection, like a day, I got to thinking subconsciously what had been repressed, Consciously, what had been awakened was as we were driving to that rice paddy mm-hmm. from the nine, which is an hour and a half, and I'm looking at the expansion over 50 years of this country and development, the activity that's taken place, the highways that are developed, you know, not villages, but townships and buildings uh, that are taking place, um, and people hustle and bustling about. And I drive back by one of our LZs that we operated out of. And I'm thinking to myself, we took sweeps through this whole area. This didn't exist back then. And um, uh, and so maybe subconsciously and all of a sudden, I think what it was, was to answer the question, why? Some people came to that answer way before they even went to Vietnam and didn't go to Vietnam or question that whole war. I didn't. But now, oh, these 50 years later, it was that question of why. Why? Why were we there? What a waste. I mean, we lost 58,000 soldiers. Really, for what? And that became the overwhelming and emotional feeling because of a part of a treaty with France because... We needed to, they needed our support for uh, some direction um, because of weakness in government leaders, because of the threat of communism, big at that time, or whatever. But the reality was 15,000 lives lost for what? That could have been avoided, and the country would still be the country it is today. Um, and so that was my. That was my really emotional um, impact um, and my experience uh, at that time. So when you reflect back now on that trip, do you have a better idea even, Rocky, of why you became so emotional? Was it all that and, was, and more, or was there something else behind it? No, I, no, I, think, I think that was, who knows, so maybe some other, but I, I really, you know, I think that, for me, was the you know was the was the clarity of it uh, as I look and took place you know uh, but you know it's still a communist country <laughs> it's a police state let us understand but they love Americans they're thriving we've got great relationships that take place and back and forth you know they're uh, you know they're developing and, uh, um, and 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 so on and so on I got the chance to later meet. A NVA soldier, a uh, 
North Vietnamese regular army soldier that we were fighting against that came down to help the Viet Cong, um, and uh, who had settled in Hepduck, which is the area in which we operated and uh, in which ultimately we had our firefight. Um, and uh, he was there at the same time. As a matter of fact, was a part of the same regiment in which we had fought. You know, and so his whole statement was, you know, kind of like, uh, that was then, this is now. You know, we were enemies then, now we're friends, kind of a mentality. Maybe it was a um, kind of preaching, <laughs> preaching uh, their Bible um, in belief. But, you know, the fact was that things, you know, did change. To some degree, it was like, uh, you know, coming from the side of a victor, because ultimately that's what they were. Um, and, uh, but, you know, life changes over those 50 years. Um, so, I, I, you know, I really think for me specifically that loss of manpower and lives uh, and things that uh, affect hundreds of thousands of people um, on both sides of the war, you know, were, um, came into a much better clarity for me than it had in the past. How did they find the exact spot that you were when you got gunned down on April 20, when you got shot down on August 20th, 1969, and for those who don't know, the shot hit you in the leg during a firefight in an open rice paddy, and the bullet tore through your left thigh, but avoided the bone, right? It made an entry and exit wound, and a short while later, your right leg was seriously injured after a grenade blew up right next to you after hitting your commanding officer. How'd you find the exact spot, Rocky? Because you're ESPN. You know everything. <laughs> you know how to do it. You find those things. <laughs> you know, so somewhere, somewhere in the archives, in uh, the written history of what took place that was um, transcribed back then and then you know, dropped off of you know, war actions or whatever the whatever the officers had to do, um, there was the um, there was the location uh, of, of where we were um, and the exact uh, pinpoint. So, uh, so they they found it, you know, and um, they, they went back and pretty much, and um, you know, it it had changed fifty years, but the rice paddies were still there. Uh, area had, had you know overgrown a little bit, but I could make out where we were, what happened, you know, and it was an action, you know, really in all honesty, it wasn't as if we humped up there, lived there and knew that. It was, you know, a situation that took place, um, you know, within a, a hour period of time, but, you know, your whole focus is trying to stay alive or fight this fight, not knowing what was taking place. <laughs> you know, so in my mind, there was, I had this seared image of what it looked like, or at least I thought, yep. kind of where we came out of, um, and within that location that they had specified, I could see where, okay, yes, this was, okay, this is where it was, this is what happened. So it so. looked familiar to you, and you recognized it, and everything like that? Yeah, 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 so I mean, it took some time, I had to take a, you know, I mean, I had to take a look around, it was, in, it, it, I, I said, okay, if I know this is it, but let's move over here. You know, let's move over here. Okay, fine. You know, and I'm thinking, yeah, this could be it. And remember coming down here, you know, just what you remember uh, in that split second of time, you know, that it could be, uh, yes. So um, we're going with it. That's where it was. Well, Rocky, let me let you in on a little secret. If ESPN finds the exact spot in a rice paddy field in Vietnam where you were shot in the leg and a bullet tears through your left thigh and a grenade goes off, and you've got Tom Rinaldi asking the questions. Right. The chances are you're going to cry, Rocky. <laughs> you know that. Tom Rinaldi is unbelievable at what he does. Like, this was, I don't mean to insult you, Ray Rocky, but this was Not so, at all. Is a softball, a softball. Like, I, that was the biggest layup ever that he was going to get you to cry. <laughs> I know. I mean, hey, thank you. Thank you. Now I can blame him specifically. All right. Thank you. I can lay that blame on him. Um, for doing it, yeah. Yeah, Tom, Rocky. Yeah. Let, let me say, Tom Rinaldi is to questions and subjects what Mean Joe Green was to quarterback and sacks. Like 
He just <laughs> he destroys him like he kills him. <laughs> You're right, and he did, <laughs> and he did right. He, he, he did, and it's just his tone, the way he looked, how he set it up, what he was talking about, his intensity, and so doing. You know, and that, yeah. Well, thank you for helping explain part of that. That's. It's all Ronaldo's fault. That's right. <laughs> so let me ask you this: You go there, you make this trip, you go, you walk on the same grounds where you and other members of Charlie Company were ambushed, um, and you mentioned that these talks went on with the ESPN producer John Fish for ten years. This was right. something that had been in the works for ten years, Rocky. Ten years. Yeah. Ten years, and I was, you know, and, it, and 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 I and I tell you that all only because John reminded me it was ten years, and uh, when he first contacted me about doing it and about going over, and you know, and I remember, and we ultimately ended up doing a piece at the Wall in Washington D.C. Um, because we couldn't get our schedules together and so on, and then you know, time goes on, and you know, so then it. Then he, he he brought it back up again, you know, and so it took uh, took a couple of years and <laughs> of trying to work out schedules, and ultimately it happened. But always, as they say, for maybe a reason, um, and it was that we got to celebrate the fiftieth um, anniversary of that experience, and so hopefully, you know, hopefully it's one of those things, you know, as I look, you know, I look back at that that. That wonderful experience of going and being with John and being with Tom Rinaldi and the whole crew. It's a wonderful crew um, of possibly with this being showed is that maybe, maybe it will help other veterans um, come to some closure. Maybe it will help them um, look at their experience maybe a little bit different. Um, maybe it will help them uh, close some wounds. Uh, that have uh, have been open for too long. So maybe uh, that will be the end result of that uh, of that question that uh, Tom asked me in the waste paddy that made me cry. What made you agree to actually finally do this, Rocky? Well, I just I well finally I thought okay fine. I mean it was I thought it would be a wonderful experience to go back uh, and just to see. Um, what it was like and to, you know, and just to, you know, go through that experience um, and, and, and be there. Um, and so that was, uh, that was, that was the basic, that was the basic reason, you know, and then because it was ESPN and get a chance to, you know, to do it. And, uh, you know, John really, you know, believed in, in this project and, you know, it pushed this project. Um, with the powers to be and make sure that uh, uh, it happened and he stayed on track of it. So I'm, I'm very gr- grateful for, you know, his persistence, you know, and his forethought. Um, so, it, so it was. I, and, and as I say, I, I'm very, very fortunate and very happy to be able to uh, do it. What should the younger generation today know about the Vietnam War, Rocky? Well, I think uh, here's the. Uh, I, I would like the younger generation at least to be able to take a look at the Vietnam War within the confines that it was individuals who fought the war, not take a look at the. You know, there, there's two things. There's the politics of why we got into Vietnam, and the politics of what happened while we we're in Vietnam, um, and uh, how we extended that war farther than it should have been. That's one aspect of it. The second aspect is really to understand the individual soldier, um, because it was a time, as we were talking about, of um, unrest, uh, student uh, protests that were taking place. Vietnam War was bad because of what is happening over there at the time. It was the first really war that was what we call the living room war. It took place on your TV every night. Um, Mozart Cronkite would bring the news. It was about KIA and action, what had taken place that day. 
and uh, KIA is killed in action. That's just so people understand. So they so they followed the war in that regard. Um, and, you know, it wasn't a popular war, so there was a draft that took place. Uh, and, uh, and the choices that people made during that period of time, those who got drafted, those who enlisted, those who left the country, those who applied to become a conscientious objector, um, those who enlisted in another branch of service, but still served so that they could avoid not going to Vietnam, you know, hopefully. Um, but anyway, all that was taking place. So it was kind of a complex, um, part of our life. And unfortunately, as I hear, and I understand that in the history books, especially, um, in, in high school today, it's not a war that's really, um, studied, unlike World War II, when we were going to school, and I was, uh, and Korea was a blip, you know, and to some degree, Vietnam has become somewhat of a blip over the 50 years that has happened, or 45 years now that it's um, uh, stopped. But they should understand that war from a political end, from a conscientious um, policy end, uh, but also the commitment of the soldier that 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 served and how he served and maybe under the duress that he served. But he did serve and he spent his time in there. A lot, hopefully, for those who watch this documentary, it may spur um, conversation with a Vietnam veteran that they may know, whether it be a relative, grandfather, parent, an uncle, an aunt, a great uncle, aunt, whatever it might be, to be able to get them to talk about that experience. Because ultimately what I've learned, like a lot of military, is that they repress their feelings and their stories, um, and they don't talk about their experience. They don't talk about the war. So there's a generation out there that doesn't understand, you know, coming out of World War II, you know, and that generation, and you know, what had taken place, and everybody was proud of the veterans, and so they were heralded uh, and held on a, uh, on a platter for what they did. They served, and they came back, and, you know, and so, um, and movies were made, and books were written, and so on. And not so much for the Korean War, nor the Vietnam War, and even the on-Korean War in Afghanistan, Iraq, which is even more difficult, but... But I think that there's a lot to be learned by listening to, you know, those who had served that a generation is missing just from the stories, from how they felt, from being serving their country, not a popular world, but they're patriotic in their own way of being able to do that ultimately. So I think hopefully, again, that maybe this might be one of those evenings that you might be watching and it might start a conversation. Uh, and, uh, and, it, and, and what I, and I tell veterans this is, is that, you know, it's not, you don't have to be combat. You don't have to have fought a war. You served. And we all have stories. It's like being in a locker room. I don't care what, what level you've played at, whether it be in junior high, high school, if you get to college, or even if you got to the pros or whatever, Locker room is a locker room, and we all got locker room stories because it's a commonality. Mm. And serving is a commonality. Um, and so you get stories about basic, and you get stories about crazy guys. You get stories about what you did and where you were, whether you were in Germany or Sweden or South Korea or wherever it might have been, um, and not necessarily in the throne of combat, but you got stories. And I think they need to be told or at least talked about. Um, and hopefully this, as I've made mention before, might be a catalyst um, for that. You know what's interesting, Rocky? You came back from the Vietnam War and rejoined your team. And basically, as you said, as one of the combat veterans, got to become, I don't want to say the voice, but a prominent voice, if not the voice, of Vietnam veterans once you were back playing football for a high-profile organization like the Pittsburgh Steelers. And 50 years later, ESPN does this incredible special where Tom Rinaldi works his magic and the features producer, John Fish, puts it together. And you get to become 
the voice of voice again 50 years after the Vietnam War for all the people who fought on behalf of this country. How does that make you feel that you, in a way, have been charged with this responsibility of speaking on behalf of all the combat veterans? Well, you know, part of it is that part of it is that it's kind of a responsibility, um, and I don't want to necessarily speak on behalf of combat veterans, but more importantly, maybe as one of them to be able to um, uh, to, to, to say my piece, but that would reflect on the rest of them, um, uh, because I do. I do run into veterans who come back and say, you know, thank you um, because, you know, you you made it. You're one of us. And we looked up to you because you were the only thing that was positive within that Vietnam veteran syndrome that we all came back and and had a face. Um, And so to some regards, there's a responsibility that I, you know, felt whether I did it right or wrong. I didn't want to be a voice to stand on a uh, on a soapbox and preach, but hopefully, you know, I could make some some inroads and impact on other people's perception of Vietnam veterans, and uh, and ultimately the work that they have done and the commitments that they have made over these fifty years of giving back into the communities and taking care of veterans. Uh, and within the next generation, becoming part of uh, now the, the the American Legion and, and the veterans of foreign wars of VFWs. Hmm. It was interesting. I mean, as always, and it was interesting because when we came back, those organizations didn't embrace the, that that Vietnam veteran. So it made it more difficult because there really wasn't an outlet to go and talk to and be a part of that, quote, locker room scene that we, we carry with us. Uh, but now, today, they have. They've immersed into those areas. And so they're making impacts. And I do say Vietnam veterans are making impacts within their communities because of the work they do within those uh, within those clubs, within the American Legion and within the Veterans of Foreign Wars. Um, so they've... Uh, So 50 years later, 50 years after you were wounded in Vietnam, Rock, how does it impact your life today? And I know it's a very broad and ambiguous question, but again, you thought you had were past it and then you got into that field and you started crying again. How has it impacted your life today? Well, it's, you know, it's, it's been, you know, I, I, I think the biggest thing, it's been, you know, a, a big, obviously a big part of my life and a big part of the story. Um, and, you know, and so to some degree, there's a great responsibility. Um, and it's not necessarily about veterans and so on, but it's also about human nature um, and never giving up and never quitting and, you know, and having a dream or having a goal and, and overcoming obstacles and, uh, uh, and continue to push and push and push until, you know, you can make a dream come true or it happens. In your truth. You know, and I look on that situation and, you know, and I look on all the, the impacts by other people that affected one's life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, to be able to be in this position today wasn't because of me, although it might have been the central figure, but it was all the other supporting actors around me in my home. You know, yeah. you know just being at the right place at the right time, having a family like the Rudy family you know, supporting you or giving you opportunities, uh, you know, having a young coach been there with Chuck Noll coming in and, and building a team. And then all of a sudden, you know, you, you hang around long enough and, and, and you get a chance, an opportunity to play. And, and then all of a sudden they win and they win a Super Bowl and God, then they win two more and they win four Super Bowls and you're a part of that whole organization. So it really, you know, it goes like, oh, you know, and the point was is that he, he, it was that you know I, I didn't have the natural ability to be able to do it. I wasn't the star or anything that, but you were part of you know that organization and part of that success. You know, and so that became very important. So you know, so when you look at that, you know, is that we as 
normal average human beings we can achieve. And hopefully that was part of the, maybe somebody's inspiration uh, when they looked at the story of Rocky Blyer, um, that maybe it changed their lives uh, because of um, an opportunity, because of something that I did um, and, uh, and it affected somebody else. I suppose we couldn't ask for anything better than that or more than that within our lives. And, you know, who did you touch and who did you change? And, you know, what kind of impact did you leave? Um, uh, just, and so, um, if I look back at, you know, that experience, no matter what the, what the, what the difficulties were, you know, it's been a pretty good life. And, um, and so I'm very pleased and can't complain about that. It must be some special because the return, which is what they're calling the show on ESPN, which airs on, um, it airs on Sports Center, August, August twentieth, eight p.m. Uh, it must be some show because it was selected as the best documentary at the recent LA Shorts International Film Festival. So clearly, John Fish and Tom Rinaldi and all others involved did their job. Uh, how does that make you feel that <laughs> this this won awards? It, you know, well, it, I, you know, I have not, and I'm telling you, I have not seen the return. Wow. I've not seen the documentary at all. So I, you know, so I don't, I don't know what it, what's in it. I know what's, what we did, but I don't know how they edited. All I can say was that my, my, my imagine, my imagination of all the footage that they shot and the quality of, of uh, the camera crew that we had, and of course, you know, putting the story together and so on, and their ability to, you know, to edit it, cover it, to understand all that. You know, I was, I was saying, okay, fine. You know, I, I mean, they'll do a nice job. But then they said they they going to enter it, uh, and that it won. I go, man, I know that I carried it, but no, I what <laughs> they say was. <laughs> Oh, it had it because of what they did and how they created the piece and put it together. So that was, I mean, it was very, very exciting. You know, kind of cool. I'm, 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 I'm glad that uh, it won. I'm glad that it got that uh, distinction. And so, um, as I understand, they're going to enter it into a couple other film festivals, and it's um, already uh, eligible for the Academy Awards. So they will enter it in the Academy Awards, and we'll see what takes place there. Academy Award, Rocky, that may be a fitting capper to this whole process of going back to where you were shot. That's <laughs> right. I mean, all of, you know, you know, it, it, yeah, I mean, it's kind of cool. I, I have to tell you, it's really kind of exciting and kind of cool to be able to kind of say that, you know, that you were part of, you know, that documentary. Um, and I understand that... I know why it got there and how it got there and the creativeness, the creativity, I should say, of, uh, of, of, of Tom and John to be able to, you know, cover it and do it the way it So I, I'm really looking forward to seeing it for the first time, and which I will um, this week. So, um, yeah, but it's, but it's really, I have to say, it's really kind of cool to be able to say that you were in you know, a piece that uh, is to won a film festival. Before I let you go, Rocky, with all that you've been through in your life, how does it make you feel to see some of the off-the-field drama that has surrounded the Steelers the last few seasons between Le'Veon Bell holding out for a contract, missing a season, Antonio Brown walking out on his teammates in Week 17 last year, all the drama surrounding Antonio Brown's helmet this year, even though he's not in Pittsburgh anymore. How does that make you feel with everything that you've been through in your life? Oh, God, you know, uh, I mean, okay, fine. Let's be honest. I'm an old guy to begin with. So I come from <laughs> I come from that old guy mentality in, in which um, I say what I was yesterday and I go, are they nuts? What are these people thinking about? Can't they do this? You know, what? Is, how can you give up that kind of money? They're not playing for the love of the game. You know, um, it's, 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 et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and I, you know, suppose is that you get opportunities in your life to define who you are. 
And the way you define who you are is by how you act. It's not about the money that you have or the talent that you might have developed um, and or the prestige that you might bring. It's about you and your quality. And, you know, ultimately those players specifically, um, you know, just kind of really show who they are uh, and that it's not about uh, a team and it's not about um, winning and it's not about creating something. It's not about being the the best within that 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 whole that whole realm. You know, it's all about themselves. Um, and uh, to do the things that they do and the, the distractions that they have uh, and the stupidness of their um, their venues. Like I'm still in the NFL because I can't wear the helmet, and I'm going to give up. Millions of dollars because you know that's important to me. You go, where's the common common sense? And maybe that's what it is. <laughs> maybe that's what we're losing. At least in those two examples, mm-hmm. is the common sense of what it's all about and what you can really be um, really be noted for. I mean, I remember Chuck Noll said, you know, it's not about money and it's not about contracts. It's about what you accomplish and what people will remind or remember you for. Um, and how true that is, not only I reflect back on that, is that, you know, I get reminded of the fact that I played in a championship team through the 70s um, that dominated football during that period of time. I have the ability to play in a team that won four Super Bowls in six years. Um, to be in the record books as the second set of running backs to each gain a thousand yards rushing uh, in one season, and to accomplish all that with very little talent, you know, is a remarkable thing. And it's not about the money because we didn't get paid much back then, but uh, it's about what you accomplish, and that's what people remember. And unfortunately, as time goes on, you know, I think there will be several names that people will forget, and they'll go who. Um, and won't remember at all. Hey, Rocky, thank you very much for this time, and I salute you for having the courage, uh, the bravery to go back to where you were wounded 50 years ago. I also, like you, have not seen the special, but it is something that I will be setting my DVR for and recording and watching on demand, whatever it may be, ESPN+. Plus, Wherever it airs, I'll be watching it. I can't wait to watch it, and it's an honor to get to speak to you today. Same here, Adam. Anytime. And so there's the great former Steelers running back, the Vietnam veteran, Rocky Blyer, talking about the day he never will forget, the day he was wounded in combat, and it all comes to ESPN's screen when it airs the special, Return to Vietnam. Uh, no, 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 the return. Excuse me. Okay. Three, two, one. And so there's the Pittsburgh Steelers legend and Vietnam veteran, Rocky Blyer, whose story, The Return, debuts on ESPN Tuesday, August 20th at 8 p.m. Eastern. It's a show you don't want to miss. A special thanks to Rocky Blyer for joining us and reliving those memories of The Return. Special thanks to the ESPN Features producer, John Fish, and my friend and the tremendous storyteller, the best storyteller on TV today, Tom Rinaldi. And thank you, the listeners, for tuning into another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again tomorrow when we'll have another podcast featuring Rams wide receiver Cooper Cup and trainer Pete Bomaritos as he gives us fantasy tips for your upcoming fantasy drafts. Have a great week, everybody.